in an outbow, somewhere deep in the suburb of Moabit, Berlin, two wicked women sit in contemplation of the world, huddled around the microphones of their home studio. We are singer-songwriter Samantha Waring. That's me. And broadcaster and writer Megan Spencer. Oh, that's me. And we're two Australian Wahlberlinerinnen, meaning optionally Berliners. Or Berliners by choice. Three Wicked Women is our podcast, the third woman being the beautiful, bright and belligerent city of Berlin, brimming with Berliner schnauzer and tales aplenty. Each episode, we will bring you seriously funny conversation, fearless music and wicked guests. Yep, it's another Vertumpter podcast. And no, it's not NPR. Three Wicked Women is very loose radio indeed. Welcome, Welcome to, to our world. world. Sam, your washing's ready. <laughs> and yes, very good day to you. I love you. Sam is, I love you. Is, I love all of you. Clearly, as you can hear, you. she is quite delirious and with good reason because we're recording this literally hours after an incredibly magical day. It happened. <laughs> She's drunk on red dresses. And I know. The, weathering. The, the more weathering. <laughs> it was amazing. So it was today the Global Day of Wuthering and it happened in 19 countries around the world, including Berlin and at the one and only Tempelhofer Airfield. Oh. So there were 800 Kate Bush lookalikes. <laughs> of, of all ages. And descriptions and, and genders. genders. <laughs> Snap. There were many hirsute men. Oh, the bushy beards. <laughs> There were bewigged folk. Indeed. There were old people, young people. It was one of the most beautiful, inclusive community days I've ever, ever witnessed and been a part of. It was truly a Kate Bush doof. I am thrilled at the community that we created and that all of these Mm. people who went, how do we create it? I'm like, we just do. And we did. We did. And if I've got anything out of it apart from just like manic glee, it's that we, out of nothing, out of a mad idea, created a community of people who could organise, could mobilise some ten or 15,000 people around the world to come together for something really good. Yeah, which is dancing and singing. Uh, and stuff that together. our body needs, yeah, you know, yeah, and to, yeah, create, yeah. to create this liminal, this, this momentary community where we all walk away feeling much better about yeah. our lives than we walked in. In real time and space exactly. and away from screens. Although it did occur to me, Megan, I was mm. like... Around the dancers, there was mm. that wall of media and and people Mobile with their phones, phones out. Yeah. And I'm like, how many people are searching for Pokemon right now? <laughs> I don't think very many. I don't think very but apparently, many. Apparently, apparently, well, the one of the dance captains was like, I was here a bit early so that I could search for Pokemon, and there weren't very many on the field. <laughs> I'm like, it's just as well. No, there were just hundreds of Kate Bushes on the field, and we so really beautiful. sincerely hope Kate Bush that you are aware of this, that you've witnessed this, so we hope that you feel the love and the dedication. And that you accept our Mm. our gift to Mm. you. And I have to say I was so impressed at how seriously people took the dancing. They were going off in little groups and rehearsing on their own and making sure that they were in the flow when the time came for that three minutes of joy to happen. And it was, I was in the middle of the crowd yelling out the names of the 
dance moves and it was it was just, everyone was just giggling one maniacally. of them being pterodactyl the backwards yes the backwards pterodactyl <laughs> it was wave, re- it was gorgeous remarkably in sync i have to say and oh. it was a very special thing to be a part of and we invite you to share with us your documentation if you were at one of these most wuthering heights day evers plural around the world we invite you to send and share your photos or videos or anything else your comments to our facebook page three wicked women radio twitter at wicked women rad you can email it to us three wicked women radio at gmail.com and of course visit your local most wuthering heights day ever facebook page and we'll just gather up everything exactly. and pop it in one place eventually so we hope you had as much fun as we did and of course, as Sam did in the middle of that throng, and we'd love to hear from you. That's our invitation. Please, yeah, please just tell us, tell us what you thought, tell us who you met, tell us why you did it. It was beautiful. It was as wilder than I ever imagined. I'm going to have to scrape her off the ceiling with a rake any second now. <laughs> She's just floating upwards, which is most magnificent. But we must get on with the Three Wicked Women episode, side one, track five. Art and Writing, that's the mm-hmm. name of it today. This week we're going to meet some incredibly creative people. I'll be chatting about spoken word in music and putting the spotlight squarely on one of my favourite Australian spoken word music bands and artists. Uh, regulars Oliver Budak and Amelia Jane Hunter will come by and take a good hard look at art. Oliver will explore a very creative food and wine (laughs) pairing and Amelia will dive headlong into the world of rock art across two very different continents. Now though, let's meet Australian-born Berlin-based poet, writer, musician and blogger Kathwil Yors. She has a beautiful blog called The House of Lovers. She's also lived in Berlin for quite a number of years. We first asked Kathwil what she loves about living in Berlin. I love... It's a combination of like Europeanness and punk. It's like, see, I, I find Berlin to be very expressive and I just like the amount of space that I have and people have here to be who they are and to make the things they want to make. So Berlin has, I've never seen this before, punks who obviously became punk in 76 and just have never gone back and now they're 56 or 60 years old and their hair is thinning and grey but they're still drying it green and they've got these like long holes where the safety pin's been there for decades and they're just committed. And they're... Like Dayak women. They're (laughs) off the grid, I would imagine, Mm. yes. These are the people who live in Friedrichshain in the housing projects and who are just never going to integrate in, in the way that German society would like everyone to integrate and obey be good workers yeah yes. obey the rules they don't they, and they probably don't have facebook pages yeah and it's wonderful that berlin provides a, a home and a community yeah. yeah something i notice about those guys as well is a lot of them have dogs and i've never seen one of those dogs head shy or underfed there's one little dog around our area called schnitzel and i know his name because he's always running away and the woman's running after him going schnitzel <laughs> and he is a little gray scruffy little guy and he has this green quiff And it just breaks my heart to think that she and her boyfriend go down to the apotheca and they go, well, it's time to re-dye our hair. She gets her purple and he gets his green. And then they sit and comb the green into schnitzel's hair and do a little quiff for him every six weeks. It's beautiful. It's really beautiful pack behaviour. He's a punk. He's a punk dog. Got to have green hair because that's the uniform. We we all know Berlin is like. 
dogs better than they like people and their bikes. But anyway, that's another story. That's another story. Back to Facebook and blogging. Well, there's a Facebook page actually of um, called Berlin Dogs Waiting Patiently Outside Shops or something oh. like that where people post photos of these little dogs forlornly gazing. Is he ever coming back? He's come back the last 500 times. Maybe this time he's going out the back door and I'm abandoned. Mm. Gee whiz, you can tell you're a writer, can't yes, you? Yes, oh. your your lovely sense of observation. Thank you. So we have in front of us here a copy of oh, your my book. Your book, Comb the Sky with Satellites. It's still a wilderness. I notice from the writing in here that you you value simplicity. The ideas are clear like water. How did you come over your many years of poetry writing to such simplicity? I imagine that's not an easy place to get to. Um, I find it. Thank you. I find it the hardest place to get to. I tend to write very complexly and it takes me many, many drafts to whack things back into a, some kind of lucidity because first I want to pack everything in there and I just let let myself flow. You know, your first draft is just a wild child making marks in the sand or something and then and then look back at it with a cool mind going, hang on a minute, that's not how you spell epiphany. You know, and then you, that's when you kind of start beating it back. It's out of a desire to do the ideas justice and the reader to do to be respectful to the reader and to the ideas, I guess. I guess a bit like how a really good expert with a grasp of a subject can can explain things fairly simply mm. um, because they, they're really at home there. And I feel like if I'm really at home in these ideas, if these are emotionally resonant and emotionally honest in the way that I see the world, then I should be able to express them as clearly as I can. And people have actually, readers have said, which is gratifying, yeah. that you can read my poetry if you don't think that you like poetry or you're not a reader of poetry. You should be able to pick it up and just enjoy it. It's got such a bad rap, poetry. Oh, yeah. We need some sense of poetics in our daily life to get through this world, I think. Yeah. But just taking taking the line of poetry and then translating that to the digital world, because you're a writer of prose, your prose is very poetic also, but you're a blogger now. Yeah. You are ostensibly also, you can add that to your CV, you're, you're a blogger, you have that discipline of writing regularly True. and you publish it online and you have a core group of followers which mm-hmm. is building. What, what was the transition like kind of from paper to screen or to pixels? I made that transition through Facebook when Facebook was still was first gaining, gaining traction amongst people that I knew like 2009 2010 mm-hmm. and everybody was very protective of their privacy and people were always talking about their settings and set, and and things being changed behind our backs and how we couldn't trust Facebook and I made a decision then that I didn't trust this website or this phenomenon one little scrap and that anything I put online would be I, I was publishing so I set everything to public way back then and decided that I'm just putting uh, ideas into the wild. And at the same time, I noticed this um, uh, auteur or you could call it like avatar phenomenon arising where people had a kind of curated version of themselves. So it's just a bit cooler, a bit hipper, a bit less um, emotional or something than their actual self. Went to a few more parties, yeah, spent yeah. a few bit, bit less time sitting on the couch going, what am I doing with my life, that kind of stuff. <laughs> And I knew that I was doing all of those things. So I wanted Mm. to resist that and be Mm. really frank across the whole breadth of my life. So I made a kind of practice and I used to call it my Facebook practice to myself in those days to kind of try and learn to be, to teach myself to be brave enough to be authentic, authentic, yeah, openly and and vulnerable and uh, uncoordinated and untogether as well. Um, I find it interesting because I feel that you're quite a private person yes. in some ways, but you managed to create this really vivid, intense debate space on your Facebook page. So this idea for me that you 
are against a, a sort of a curated online life and that you wanted to throw these ideas out into the wild mm. in this very public mm. way. You've done something which I find fascinating. You've used your personal Facebook page to create a debate forum. How do you go moderating that? How do you choose which ideas to throw out and how do you, how do you deal with the debate as it takes place on your page? Well, I use House of Love as my blog for that as well, for the same purpose. And how I handle it is as though it were a dinner party, I suppose, or a discussion around my kitchen table, that I wouldn't Mm. allow people to be unkind to each other. I wouldn't allow them to disrespect and insult each other and use labels and names and stuff. But I would allow someone who has what seem to me really strange ideas or or maybe unacceptable ideas or inhospitable ideas to express themselves as long as they're respectful and courteous they are here and they have the right to be heard and 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 that's where you learn from is people who you don't agree with mm. you know or who who have a different way i want to understand why I, it seems to me we're stuck you know it seems to me we're in this large interlocking um state of crisis on every front you know water quality air quality elections war refugees everything is is in is in flux right now and i think one of the biggest reasons for that is we're not we haven't figured out how to be emotionally honest in this new world how to be emotionally honest amongst strangers how to be really true to ourselves because when you allow the feeling in of how does it feel for example for other species to start disappearing amongst us and that we end up on this planet kind of unpopulated looking at each other in an empty room going who who are you and all the furry scaly slimy guys have gone that's so lonely and unbearable. As soon as you let that feeling in, you can't go on with that behaviour. You can't tolerate it one more second. It's only by staying in the curated self and pretending to ourselves or being too busy to reflect about how we feel. Yeah, and not wanting to talk to each other. Yeah. How many people have phone calls between each other these days? Yeah. Well, how yeah. many people just communicate? Or, or avoid answering it, actually. Yeah, or text or like that, the art of hearing a voice. That yeah, that's true. Too. Yeah. And so even yeah. through the mediated, through the written and electronic flickering form, like mm. on Twitter or Facebook or on a blog, uh, I, I find it really important. They're the people that I almost most want to listen to. Is the people who are saying things that I find really hard to swallow mm. because that I want to understand why. Courage. Um, it's not an easy thing to do. Well, with somebody who who might get labelled racist, for example, I've found that by engaging with people like that and by 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 keeping everybody else back, you know, and not letting them be mobbed mm. and bullied for their beliefs, you can allow them to bring out why they feel that way, which is they even if the feelings they end up with aren't that useful socially to us all, they still have good reason for feeling that way, fear and fear of change and and maybe a kind of sense of attachment to that which they know, which I think if you look at that broadly, if we have no sense of attachment to that which we know, we might as well give up here and move to Jupiter, I mean, and live in a space station. We need to love our home. We need to defend our borders, our 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 little pocket psychic of air borders. that we have, our psychic borders personally, but also globally, our little pocket of breathable air and our our little earth, that's all that we know. So, yeah, I think those unallowable ideas are very important. Our very thoughtful guest right now that you're listening to on Three Wicked Women is Cathwell Jers, and she is a Val Berliner, like the goodly Sam and myself, which means she is a Berliner by choice. She's been here for several years. She's from Brisbane, She's Australian <laughs> and she's a writer. A guest that we had on the show recently, Sandra Sarala, poet, uh, said that she is not the mistress of her pieces, her, her writing, but the pieces tell her what they want, where they want to go. Is that your experience of writing? I, I know what Sandra means by that. What I do experience is that when that's kind of how I know that a poem, for example, is finished because I'm a poet, I've been writing 
poetry primarily since I was nine or ten, I guess. I don't think I'd probably seen any poetry when I first started writing it, so it was really innate in me. And the poems that I published, like in Comb the Sky, go through maybe 30 or 40 drafts, like real rewrites. And when I know it's finished, it's kind of, it becomes like it's like a nut that you can knock on and it'll ring. And it feels almost like it's not mine anymore. And sometimes with old poems that I've forgotten writing, I'll find them on my hard drive or in a notebook on the back of an envelope and go, did I write that? Did I copy that from somewhere? Because they don't feel, it's like I can't see the inner workings anymore. It's got this intact wholeness. It's now become itself in a way. Is that how you feel, Sam, when you finish a song? I go through sort of two phases one where the song will come through pretty intact and songs that I have to work at over a long time the usually I'll have a block of text comes out the trick for me is to match subsequent verses to the to the rhythm and the feeling of that first verse which is the hard work um but you know when it's done I know when it's done Mm. speaking of songwriting you are also a musician You are working on a big project this year. So you released online an album called Hey Big Splendour. That's right. Can you tell us about the the origins of that album? It was songs that I had written over a long period and I got the opportunity to go to New York and record them. So what happened was I I was living in Melbourne. I started um, going to jazz clubs and recruiting these kind of jazz cats off the stage. Like I would just go up to the muffins and go, I really love your drumming. You know, maybe if I could afford you, would you like to come and record with me? And I took them all into this recording studio and sang them my songs, which pretty much no one had heard at that point, and said, just go for it. And they improvised and and made this. And so I took those recordings to New York with me and recorded with a group of about 20, I think it's 28 musicians. And so what what I wanted to do was handle each of the songs on its own terms. So it doesn't have, it has a story arc and it has a philosophical trajectory as a song cycle, but they don't all have the same sound. And some of them, I think, are pretty much folk, you know, with this almost Appalachian Mm. guy playing uh, mandolin and um, a woman who plays a saw who I met on the subway. Um, Mm. And then some of them are jazz with these jazz guys and some of them, one where I, I couldn't find backing vocalists for love or money and I finally went out into the street and these gorgeous dudes were leaning on the corner and they went hey baby and I said I need backing vocalists can you come and they came in with me and that was where so we sort of came together in this way (laughs) what an impossibly gorgeous story thank you and that's why I call and it was it was true to the vision of what I wanted and what I continue what I still want I call it Kath and the new government because I figure geez as long as it's different from the old government (laughs) um, firstly and secondly aren't we all members of the new government aren't we all stewards here aren't we all needing to step up and take responsibility for something that we personally feel passionate about whether it's a song or an aspect of the world now we we usually wind up our interviews don't we sam Mm -hmm. with one very special question to ask all of our wicked women and you are one now officially you are a wicked (laughs) woman (laughs) sam has one final question for you could you please nominate a significant uh wicked woman yeah dale spender baby she's an australian academic and feminist she wrote a book called Man-Made Language where she hid in the cloisters of her university with a tape recorder and recorded <laughs> hours of people's conversations between a man and a woman. And she used different status differences like prof- male professor, female student, female professor, male student to implode forever the idea that women talk more than men. What she found was not only that men broken down by minutes did about something like 80% of the talking, but that most of what the women contributed was what she calls housekeeping. So that's when you go, oh, really? 
that must have been fascinating. And then what happened? That kind of housework, she calls it. So I find her fascinating. Well, high five you. Thanks. <laughs> That's pretty spectacular. And if you would like to find out more about Kathwheel Joes's amazing work in words and song, you can visit her blog, houseoflovers.com. She also has a writer page on Facebook, which is Kathwheel Joes. And we will spell it because it has a particular spelling. C-A-T-H-O-E-L is her first name, Kathwheel. And Joes is spelt S. And, yeah, you have a writer page, don't you? Mm, I do. I've got a Cathwell and the New Government page, a Cathwell Joe's page and a House of Lovers page for my tiny boutique publishing house slash jazz imprint labels slash blog slash way I see the world. Yeah, The mosaic thereof. (laughs) Well, go and like it. And thank you so much for your time today. It was a great pleasure talking to you. Thanks. You too. Thanks for inviting me. You're so welcome. I came for what you came for. My eyes blue like the sky. My heart blue like yours. Show me your sleep I'll show you mine Gobbled words In the night As you were Through your fires Sweet as a rain On our old roof You're only finer now As your dreams find you My sweetness Down to the sour taste of you You are my salt pan I'll lick the bitter waste of you Mm -hmm. 
I came for What you came for My eyes blue Like the sky My heart Blue like yours That was one of Kath Wheel's creamy, dreamy songs, Blue Like Yours. And if you liked it, you can find more of her music at Kathwheel and the new govt.bandcamp.com. Amazing voice she has. Yeah. Astonishing voice. Something that she kept hidden for so long and it's it's roared out of her chest in this husky way. <laughs> Sexy jazz. Mm. Yes. If food be the music of love. <laughs> One of the most creative food and wine people around is our enjoyment aficionado, Oliver Budak, our resident sommelier. And each week on Three Wicked Women, we challenge him to pair up what we lovingly call freak food and wine matches. Some very unusual ones anyway. Indeedy. So let's see what he has to bring to the table of Wicked Women this week. Now it's time for Oliver Budak's Gut feeling. Freak food and wine matching with Oliver Budak, sommelier, Berlin. Well, I'm particularly excited uh, about today's topic. Mm. Which is? Ceviche. Woo! Peruvian food being a, a hot topic in the Berlin food scene at the moment. Very hot, which I enjoyed here for the first time just a week ago. Mm. And it brought back some very fond memories from the South Pacific. Ah! Ah, so what's, do, do they marinate fish in, in lemon juice the same way? They certainly do, and mm. I, I have enjoyed that in, in Fiji and in Papua New Guinea. Kokonda. Kokonda in Fiji, mm. and again, the fish is thinly sliced raw, fish is cured in lemon juice and spices, but the Fijians, uh, opposite to other countries in the South Pacific or East Asia or Peru in that case, use coconut milk as well in their marinade. Okay. That softens us a bit more, I guess, makes it a bit more gentle. Mm-hmm. Where the um, versions I know from PNG called Namas there and uh, Ceviche are more focusing on the lemon or lime juice. Can use a bit of vinegar as well and chili, of course. But what I also find a really nice addition is uh, coriander. Mm. Oh, lovely. So it gives it more a Southeast Asian feel than a yes. Pacific feel. So that's our little definition of ceviche. From, yeah. And we'll, we'll call it ceviche so we won't confuse, confuse people. Confuse it, yeah. Yeah, so the ceviche being the Peruvian context. Today we're going to match your idea of what a an ideal beverage might be to go yeah. with ceviche. So what what is that? Well, I, I'm, I mean, look, um, a beer is certainly always an opportunity or possibility, mm. but um, I'm, I'm a wine lover and... Um, I was thinking of aromatic varieties like Gewürztraminer or mm. Scheurebe or Muscatella. Uh-uh. And uh, some of you already might, might shriek and think, oh, my God, now he's coming with these old granny uh, varieties. <laughs> that's what I think when I think of Muscatella, mm. something that's sickly sweet. And... Yeah, and you think of big perfume odors and pungentness mm. and bloody rocks you off your seat. But look, um, everything evolves and, and a grape is a grape. It depends on what you do with it. Mm-hmm. And I guess flavors are changing as well and, and perceptions. And, and we are young and we are free and we are in Berlin. <laughs> So, I just recently came across a Muscatella from Baden, which is mm. Germany's most far southern 
uh, growing region in the far southwest of Germany, bordering to France and, and Switzerland. Basel is just on the other side of the Rhine. It's very warm there. Must be a beautiful environment in Tyrol for that particular Muscatella, which is a dry version. Mm -hmm. And we may also want to say for our English listeners that uh, Muscatella, internationally yeah. the varietal yeah. is known as Muscat Blanc à Petit Grain. Okay. So a varietal which possibly if we drink it, if, if we don't pick a German Muscatella, we might drink it from the Alsace, mm. where this is considered a okay. noble varietal, mm. an ancient varietal, mm. which goes back at least 700 years, if not longer. Mm. So thinking of, I mean, Sauvignon Blanc would have been another option, or mm -hmm. the German equivalent would have been Scheurebe. But I, I'm personally not so fond of the sometimes bit of green and, and herbaceous aromas in these wines. Uh, so not a fan of the New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc <laughs> style. Not, not, not of the early pick greeny ones, you the, know? Uh, yeah, the, the, the catwee yeah. and the, it, and the green capsicum. <laughs> and. Which would definitely work with ceviche. But mm. I think even much more ele elegant was the Muscatella. And mm -hmm. I was really taken by it. I tasted it at work where I discovered it first in a little wine bar in Berlin. It's not too pungent and it is dry, which is unusual. That wasn't my perception. Mm. And it has a fine acidity, but not too much acidity, okay. which would cause a problem with the chili because chili and acidity uh, potentially can bounce each other up. So I found mm. the wine just Perfect, and I brought a little sample. Well, I think we should sample on that recommendation. And so, I, so the, we're looking yeah. at ceviche has like lime juice, lemon juice, chili. So it's quite um, well hot. Hey, there's heat, there's citrus, yep. and and you've chosen muscatella because it's not too much. It's it's not too acidic. Mm -hmm. It has floral flavors. It's it's not too opulent. It's accompanying the dish. It's but, an elegant. Yeah, it's not taking over the dish. So it gives gives the dish a good backbone mm -hmm. and, 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 and a clean palate, what I always find really oh. important. So you, you, have a, you end up with a clean palate and you really savor the last bite you had with the wine together, ready to enjoy the next spoonful yeah. of ceviche again. Yeah. This is why we need sommeliers, because there's always a story. The idea of us just sitting plonked in a random uh, restaurant, Peruvian restaurant in, in Berlin, we can be eating away, but what we're actually, thank you, what we're actually doing is experiencing something that could have its origins in 700 year old history yes and whatever's come straight out of that kitchen five minutes ago which is has its own traditions and origins mm -hmm. as well in peru or, or whatever culture and bob's your uncle cheers let's try this put your nose in deeply okay. and take a good sniff and uh maybe you can tell me what you smell what do i smell Okay, I smell green. I do smell the greenness. Ooh. Wow, but it's really quite floral on the tongue. This is the, the yes. international sommeliers or, or sonic mm. salute. Mm -hmm. mm. It has beautiful floral aromas. Mm. It's of, really gently perfumed. Very gently. A little bit of lime. A mm. little bit of rose petals. Mm. Reminds me, it reminds me Ooh. a little bit of a Yarra Valley Semillon I had once. It's very fresh, isn't it? It mm. is extremely, I mean, this is a fresh dish mm. ceviche with it, it is oozes of the lime and, 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 and the fresh cut well, herbs. Well, now that I'm, I'm tasting it, it totally matches. Yeah. I reckon. This is divine. Mm. I had no idea that it could be like an elegant dry. I'm, I'm also, this is a new experience for me, but this is the beauty about this varietal. Also, for example, in Alsace, where the mm. varietal is possibly the most famous, they make dry styles, they make off-dry uh, styles, and they make late, late harvest styles. Mm -hmm. So this is a very versatile variety. 
And what the good thing is here, it's not expensive too. Hmm? It's affordable. So the, in, the, in Germany or in Berlin, in, how much? In Berlin, you, you can buy it at a, at a good uh, wine bar, a wine slash retail store for around nine, max 10 euros. Okay. Wow. And in Australia, what, what would people... In Australia, it's possibly a bit harder to find the variety. We have it. But we use it more for off-dry or late-harvest styles. Like from the north of Victoria up Rutherglen, the... Rutherglen. Yeah. Yeah, the Rutherglen muskets are world-famous. You're listening to Three Wicked Women... Three wicked winos. <laughs> <laughs> Drinking at 11.41 in the morning. Oh, I'm so proud of myself. <laughs> <laughs> Oliver Budak is our freak food and wine pairing sommelier, sommelier. with the international <laughs> slurp. <laughs> the sommelier. We're having a very good old chat mm. about pairing which wine with ceviche, which is uh, fish cured in juices, basically, and herbs. And we're drinking a rather delightful and rather inexpensive dry muscatella yeah. from Baden. It's, it's the wine good Riga, R-I-E-G-E-R, mm. 2015 Baden. They're also Ecovin certified. That means they work uh, under ecological practice mm. and don't use any chemical herbicides or pesticides. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Which means this is good for us. It's 11.42 in the morning. <laughs> yeah. And I, I also love the mouthfeel of this it's wine. Th- it's just not having a little dance, but it's just, it's a perfect match. Mm. Yeah. All right. Well, on that note, now that we're tweaked, <laughs> cheers. 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 And if you'd like to travel with Oliver through his adventures in wine and all things liquid, just visit his website, Oliver Budak, that's B-U-D-A-C-K, Dot com. Three Wicked Women. It's not quite right radio. True that. So, more from Oliver next week on our last episode for this series. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> We're salivating already. But probably enough of food for today, Sam. Uh, it is our episode dedicated to art and also the art of writing, the art of the word today, whether mm. it be written, spoken. And Sam... When you started your house concert series, Sofa Salon, which we've mentioned a few times here on Three Wicked Mm. Women, you've had some 63 or so concerts. 68. Oh, in Schuldigung. No, no, it's fine. Around the various lounge rooms and outbows of Berlin. Mm. Not so much now, but you initially started with a bunch of spoken work artists in the lineups as well, in addition to musicians, didn't you? Yeah, I mean, this. I wanted to create a forum for the reception of storytelling. I mean, I believe the story, the good storytelling is already out there, but I wanted to create a space in Berlin to listen to it where it wasn't a, a smoky bar where you were wallpaper to someone or like a, a club. I wanted something more, more intimate and more close. And Sofa Salon was trying to recreate that, that listening environment where p- poets and performers could come and actually tell their stories to people who really wanted to go on those journeys with them. But one of your formative Australian bands who kind of worked with this area yeah. in a way like storytelling, rigorous storytelling, is The Dumb Earth. Is that yeah. right? To this day, one of my favourite Australian bands like disclaimer I know some of the people Mm. in the band um, and I actually offered to manage them at one point um, because I love them so much I thought they were an absolutely extraordinary band in the in the same way that I think Cold Chisel and Don Walker from Cold Chisel and the Drones and Gareth Lydiard from the Drones are the kind of storytellers that can get into aspects of the Australian psyche and 
tell us to ourselves. And these are people who are not afraid to go into the, the dark and less comfortable aspects. Unlike Don Walker and Gareth Lydiard, I think David Creese comes at it from a much sort of softer, not necessarily psychological. And he's the lead singer of the Lead Dumber? singer and drummer and sort of, yeah, main songwriter. Love and, a singing drummer. Oh, right? <laughs> Oh, spider bait. Yeah, you know. Phil was, Collins. <laughs> don't even. But, yeah, so David Creese sits behind the kit and in this low sort of Leonard Cohen-esque drawl tells these, these little observations that he makes of people or emotional circumstances, of the wreckage of people's lives or the, the howling emptinesses inside I, them. I thought that about Australian Crawl once. <laughs> Actually, I agree with you. As they cast their eye over the elite who lived on the Mornington Peninsula in Australia. But look, um, to to illustrate what you're saying in all seriousness now, Mm. let's have a listen to a track from, shall we start with The Dumb Earth? Yeah, let's start with The Dumb Earth. This is from their last album, Dry Land, which is one of my favourite records. And And what's the track called? This track is called Low Tide. i 
So that was the song Low Tide off the album Dry Land by the Australian band The Dumb Earth, their final record. So they're no longer together? No, they disbanded after that record. I think some of the songs that they were working on for the next record ended up on David Kreese's first solo album. How long have they been together for, Sam? Oh, my Lord, years. I think they formed in Adelaide in the early 90s. And after the Dumb Earth disbanded, David Kreese had a period of reassessment and eventually came out with a couple of new projects, smaller in scale. Um, One called Mysteries with an album called I Dream That You Visited Me. And some of the songs that would have been on the next Dumb Earth record ended up in a simplified form on a beautiful solo record that he made called When You Were a Man. But the piece that I want to play now is off his very, very new record. He calls this new work narrative song. The storytelling is at the centre of it. Um, The pauses in the music, the tonalities, the layers all build up a very 3D picture of the internal life of the people that are being sung about. The Kopfkino. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, the Kopfkino. What a wonderful wonderful German word that is, Kopfkino. It can be used pejoratively to mean someone's crazy. It means like head movies. But it's also, I, I like the idea of it being... A life of the mind and just mm. the way you were describing David Kreese's narrative songs, it's kind of what it sounded like to me. It was describing very much a, using music and words and storytelling to serve an inner landscape through, yeah. through songwriting. Yeah, The life of the Australian mind, the, the darker recesses, the anxieties, the way the wind can blow through us in a certain way and blow out our backs and leave us staggering. And our backsides, if we're from Australia. Yeah, exactly. No fart jokes here. No fart jokes. Oh, I've just brought the tone down. Well, look, let's have a listen to what you're talking about. This song is track three from the album Narrations. It's called Procession. I've arrived at a town or city somewhere in Greece. My last stop before I fly home. My mother and father have joined me here. I've swapped shoes with a stranger, a young girl who's here with her parents. It's a weekend and there are tourists everywhere. Everyone around me is excited, bustling around the street stalls, looking at the sights. I feel repelled by the swarm of tourists. At a street or laneway that crosses in front of me, a procession appears. Walking slowly, each member of the procession dressed in white robes of a coarse material. Some wearing weeks of thick, overgrown grey hair. All of them tall, aged, with lined, solemn faces that seem to express the suffering of existence. At short intervals, they all stop at once. 
freezing in position for five or so seconds before pausing some of them gracefully tumble into contorted poses which they hold before they all continue to move slowly forward I am transfixed by this silent, slow-moving procession. I'm overcome with tears as I stand watching them. Some of the crowd push their way through. An acquaintance approaches me talking, but I want nothing to do with him. There is something ancient and profound, spiritual and at the same time earthbound about the procession. I'm all the more astounded at the behaviour of the crowd. I find it hard to believe that people are not stilled by what is passing in front of them. The afternoon is coming to an end. I need to find the girl whose shoes I have. I don't want her and her parents to think I shouldn't have been trusted. So that was David Crease, formerly of The Dumb Earth, with a track called Procession. And I have to say, Sam, I felt like I was in that street in Greece with mm. him. And I absolutely loved the strange instrumentation behind his words. It sounds like he had a, a, a drumstick and he was just running it across wires on a fence or something mm, like or that. Very if, atmospheric, hey? Very atmospheric. And, and I have to say, also reminded me a little bit of listening to some of the improvisational compositions by the Necks, who also use very unusual and unorthodox. Yeah. Well, that was a really interesting spotlight on very interesting storytellers and scribes mm. in the world of music in Australia. Thank yeah. you, Sam. You're welcome. And if anyone is interested in listening to more of David's work, then you can find him on Bandcamp, D-A-V-I-D-C-R-E-E-S-E, davidcrease.bandcamp.com. Three Wicked Women, The Sirens of Radio. All right, Sam, do you know what's coming now? Oh, I'm bracing myself. <laughs> She's strapping herself in <laughs> because it is time for one of the most creatively daring women ever let loose on a stage or a, or a microphone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Someone who takes her art very seriously while making it her business to keep us laughing. Amelia Jane Hunter one of our regular guests on Three Wicked Women. Sex. Amelia Jane Hunter, commit no nuisance. Stop out. And we've invited you here today, Amelia, to talk about art. Mm. Well, I feel like just living in Berlin, existing in Berlin, you're living and breathing art. I mean, for me, I... I ride everywhere in this town, as mm. most people do. What, some of the best artwork I see is the street art. Absolutely. I was, that was 
you know, I was besotted when I first came to Berlin years and years ago. And I have a lovely German friend who took me and showed me a lot of the outbows and, mm -hmm. you know, where some of the really old political propaganda and stuff still resides. Mm -hmm. But the thing I love about street art is that it's, you know, prone to the weathering, mm. you know, wind and water, um, to the elements and those that exist in it, whether they, you know, pull it apart or, or damage it in some way. But as the artist, I mean, it's their gift you know, mm. for such a temporary amount of time. And there's the street artist here in Berlin, El Bocho, whose work I really, really love. He's a Berlin-based illustrator and his stuff is on paper, so it's usually four or five big panels of paper glued to a, a wall. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's normally big faces or busts of women mm. and they always have a lovely little saying like, I miss my outbow or fly me to the moon or... This city loves me. He's coloured, you know, slums in Nigeria and, wow. you know, won lots of awards. And like many street artists, he, he likes to maintain his anonymity with, you know, obviously his moniker and any photos he is in, he's pixelated his face. So I quite like the mystery about mm -hmm. that. Um, but for me, I'd have to say, you know, obviously since moving to Europe and having access to, you know, Vincent van Gogh's, uh, artwork and his gallery because Lust for Life had a huge impact on me as a young student uh, and his story and now being able to see his paintings. Mm. In know, the flesh. In the flesh. Yeah, yeah. But I think probably some of my favourite art is Indigenous art, namely rock art because as a bushwalking guide for 16 years in the north um, of Australia I was really privileged and blessed to be able to access some of the most remote areas and obviously mm. you have to do this on foot. And even if you, a chopper, you know, a helicopter drops you in, you've still got to clamber through some of the most inhospitable and inaccessible stone country. And you just see the most incredible, incredible sort of canvas mm. of some of the most stunning art ever. And I feel really blessed to have been able to be allowed uh, um, Did you have to see permits it. to go into that? Yeah, we always yeah. we always had permits. Yeah. We always liaised with whoever you know the, the traditional conservation owners. commission. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, this is like the the ochre pits and mm. the different colours. Mm. Um, you know, down south, it's sort of the petroglyphs, the rock carvings, mm -hmm. and that. But this stuff, I mean, when you would stumble across a gallery where you just would sit for hours and hours, and obviously leading these bushwalks, you have like minded gutsy, mm. outdoorsy, empathetic, sensitive mm. to the environment mm. and now sensitive to the cultural surroundings that they're in because I guess what I wanted to say was there was so, I had so much access um, to this art and it was really beautiful and I would often take clients back time and time again. There was a particular site in the north of the Kimberley just north of the Isdel River, which is one of the deepest gorges in, in the Kimberley, which is in the north of Western Australia. And I was with a 72-year-old client called Jack, a lovely, marvellous man whose children had bought him a backpack and bushwalking boots for his 66th birthday. And he trained for years and years because he always dreamed of going on one of these Willis Walkabouts bushwalks. And, you know, there's no paths. It's all mapped to compass. You know, I'm mm. the leader. Uh, most of them would go, oh, you're, you're a girlie? Uh, you sure you can do this? You're not going to get on your period, are you? And oh get upset Lord. and lose us, get us lost. I'd be like, yeah, probably, probably all of that jazz and I'll attract crocodiles and we'll all wound up dead. dead. So strap yourself in, let's go. <laughs> wow. But he was a delight and 72, you know, and, I mean, fit as a fiddle. As he said, I could walk anyone into submission. <laughs> um, 
but he'd be like, what are we up to this afternoon? We're going on a, an Amelia special? We're going on an Amelia special? I've seen some rocks. I've seen some rocks. We should get amongst them. Of course, you've seen some rocks. Yeah, I've seen some rocks. I think there's art up there. Mm. So we would always run away together and have little adventures, which, you know, we'd end up just sitting on top of a rock talking about life. But we were walking up this creek system one day and I'm pretty gutsy, you know, I, I don't mind heights. I've done some dangerous shit and I've been lucky and survived. But we were walking along this creek system, just he and I, and he was slightly ahead of me and we were on this rock ledge. Now, it wasn't high, uh, it wasn't steep, it was probably only two metres up, but I started to get really congested. I, I, I felt really nervous that I was going to fall. Mm. I, my mouth dried up. I, 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 I felt like I, I've never had asthma but I have a mother who has asthma So I, and I had a friend who really suffered badly so I, I started to understand that constriction. Yeah, and the anxiety associated with not being able to take a deep mm. breath and mm. I was like, ah. Oh. And he was like, come on around here, there's nice handholds, come on. Oh, it's beautiful around here. And I was like, yep, coming. But I couldn't breathe and I got really, really nervous. I got clammy hands, dry mouth. And I just went, I can't go on. I can't, I can't go on. Then I heard him go, bloody hell, look at the size of the balls on him. Right? And he had stumbled into what I believe to be a male area, yep. a sacred site where I wasn't welcome. And I was not made welcome because that the energy. The energy was pushing me back. Wow. And so Whoa. he came back and I said, I can't go forward. I can't. Oh he goes, God. there's a lot of penises. <laughs> But, yeah. you know, there's testicles. And he said, there's cutting tools. This is definitely wow. a men's site. And yeah. I said, I can't go. Yeah. Wow. Do you want me to take photos for you? I said, no, no, no. Mm. No, no, that's just for you. We'll keep that secret. You can share that with the other guys, but I can't come. Mm-hmm. So he explained it to me. Extraordinary, yeah. Amelia. So it was almost like rock spirits were stopping you or something like that. You could feel this ancient energy. Definitely. And you were not allowed to go there. It's wow. one of a couple of times Nature that spoke. I've been pushed yeah. back. Whoa. And that was the first time I actually really felt it, though, mm. and was breathless. After mm. that, I sensed I'm not welcome here, mm. so I'd turn the group back because I also think, no, this energy is so prevalent. And there was this fantastic art historian specifically with Aboriginal art in Australia, George Chaluka. Mm. He was a Czechoslovakian man who fell totally in love. My husband, Oliver's best mate, Liam, it was his dad, father-in-law. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I yeah. was very fortunate yeah. to have time with him mm. uh, because he lived in the, in the apartment next door to my other friend who was a bushwalking guide and... He discovered thousands and thousands mm. of, of rock art sites in, mm. in the Northern Territory specifically and he created a definitive chronological sequence of time as mm. to when the art was created. And he taught me a lot but I remember specifically with his giant big Territorian beard and his very thick accent, he said to me, you know, implored me actually to respect the country and, and those still residing in it. Meaning the energy. Wow. And, um, the ancestors. Exactly. Yeah. And his wife, Pina, she also worked a lot. While he was off with the men seeing sites, she would sit with the Indigenous women and they too took her to a couple of theirs. And she told me about this site in Kakanoo National Park in the Northern Territory. And it's in this magnificent part right out the back on the edge of Arnhem Land. And it's a place which we call Crystal Cascades because you drop into this creek system and for three days you're deep into it, crossing over, clambering up and around the water. But it's crystal clear, sea green, aquamarine, bodies of water, plunge pools. It's just stunning. 
And she wrote me a little mud map and she said, you know, once you find it, burn it because this is just something I'm sharing with you. And I went down this creek and I, even before I was there, I, I sensed it. Mm. And just on this really sharp right angle turn in this cascades was a cave and it was up high on the left. And just as you got to it, the creek really narrowed between the most beautifully smooth rocks, almost like, you know, a, a canal, like a, a really, really narrow, what I always say was like the birthing canal. Mm. And then it opened out in this burst of like a little quick burst of water into this really deep black pool. And no one ever swam in it, to my knowledge. Because up on the left-hand side where you clambered up, was what I realised was a birthing cave mm. uh. and it was a women's area mm-hmm. and it was like pregnant bellies, squatting, birthing, wow. some just squatting, some with the baby outside, really big sort of um, breasts, babies mm. hanging off mm. breasts and as I said it was quite crude, it wasn't particularly artistic but what was beautiful in the centre of it was this big flat raised stone like a bench mm. that was so smooth that you could see perhaps hopefully, you know, hundreds, maybe thousands of years of birthing had taken place on this. And it was really beautiful. And you would sit and you'd look out over this creek and you would look down and go, that does look like a birthing canal down Mm. there. That is, you know, this water just narrows and tapers through and then juts out really quickly at the end. The pool is black. It's really deep. It's not ominous and frightening, but, you know, it's not for people to go and swim in, Mm. possibly just for the women, you know afterwards Mm -hmm. or wash the baby and whatever there is so much energy associated not just with the rock art I mean yes it is but all art and whether it's you know it's a gift from the artist whether they're divining or you know Mm. a conduit for 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 information from a different place to continue through time or it's exposed to the elements I mean we're just so lucky to be able to be in the presence of it Mm. and I just love living in Berlin because it is one big canvas Mm. and I love to frequent and be the star of it sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) So from the ancient, mystical, spectacular caves of Kakadu National Park... To a bedroom in Moabit. And it's surrounding vacant lots with uh, paste-ups and stencil art and graffiti. Mm. Sam and I, inspired by that amazing story, Amelia, might just have to rush out now and in giant letters paint commit no nuisance on the side of this outbow. I think (laughs) so. In thank you to you in gratitude to you thank you so much and we'll talk to you again next episode of three wicked women my absolute pleasure thank you for having me i'm now off to commit no nuisance you're listening to three wicked women radio i've forgotten what the next bit is sorry (laughs) (laughs) well sam that's it for episode five oh that's been a good ride, hasn't yes. it? Yes. A ride through the world of words and art. Mm. Big thank you to Cathwell Yurts for coming into the Three Wicked Women Speakeasy <laughs> 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 and having a chat with us today. And of course, also to our regulars, Amelia Jane Hunter and Oliver Budak, as always. And don't forget to share your photos or videos with us from your The Most Weathering Heights Day Ever Experience hashtag Day of Weathering. On our Three Wicked Women social pages, so on Facebook, that's Three Wicked Women Radio. On Twitter, that's at Wicked Women Rad. Or email Radio at gmail.com. And if you like what you hear right now, please feel free to share this podcast with your own communities. It will encourage us to keep going and we do look forward 
to hearing from you, don't we? Yeah, we do. We we really enjoy the conversations we've had with our listeners. Some uh, interesting feedback, meatballs. <laughs> Washing machines. Yeah. And next week we'll finish our current series with an episode entirely devoted to music. Yay! Yeah, I'm a bit excited too, I have to say. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week. Three Wicked Women is an independent podcast produced by Megan Spencer. That's you. It is. And Samantha Waring. That's me. It is. Huge thanks to sound wizard James Tolson from Berlin Tour Support. To this week's special guests. And to our regular guests, Oliver Budak for Gut Feeling. And the very wicked Amelia Jane Hunter for Commit No Nuisance. And the Three Wicked Women theme song is Stolen Kisses by Wasp Summer. That's you, Sam. And our percussive stings are by Oliver Budak. And we would love to hear from you, our wicked audience. You can drop us a line at threewickedwomenradio at gmail.com. Stay up to date with us on Facebook by liking Three Wicked Women Radio. Or you can tweet us at Wicked Women Rad because that's frankly what we are. Share, stream or download the Three Wicked Women podcast from threewickedwomenradio.bandcamp.com. And we can't wait to talk to you again next time in another fit of voluptuous panic. Choo!